pre-dropped here, no doubt. Yeah, pre-dropped. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. It made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Good evening, folks. Happy Sunday night from Hoylake, England. The Wirral Peninsula, the temporary home of, uh, well, all of us. I was going to say just Sean Zock, but really, we've taken up residence for the better part of the last week. The Open Championship is complete. The Major Championship season on the men's side is now complete, too. And I'm Dylan DeChair. I'm here with James Colgan and Sean Zock to break down the action from Royal Liverpool. Brian Harmon is your 2023 champion. Sean, do you want to just like get straight into it? Do you want do you want to provide us with a winner and then a loser, or or you can start with a loser and then go to a winner if you no, want let's, to? No, let's um, let's just start with the obvious winner, Dylan, and that is the game. Of, I'm kidding. Uh, Brian Harmon is the obvious winner. He won by six strokes, which is a lot. Um, John Rahm said that there is nothing any of us could do, which is kind of an interesting thing for the number two player in the world, maybe the player of the year to kind of have this defeatist mentality in hindsight, which is just basically I shot a 63 on Saturday and I played under par on Sunday and there was nothing that I could do to catch this man. There was no slip up in Brian Harmon. Uh, so he is an obvious winner. What kind of stood out? to you when you watched him do what he did and, and kind of make it boring. Yeah, he did make it boring. I think what stood out to me was that it, he's not necessarily, he doesn't even think of himself as necessarily like a bad weather golfer. And on Sunday, he really did have opportunities to crumble and to crack. And instead, he just kind of kept doing what he'd been doing, which was really solid ball striking combined with making a ton of putts. I mean, he made, I think he missed one putt inside yeah. 10 feet all week. Every time that he stood over like an eight footer, a nine footer, even like a 12 footer, 15 footer, like you just knew, shit, this guy's going to make it. And I think by comparison, the players that we were watching size up the same putts Tommy Fleetwood, Sepp Straka. John Rahm even on Sunday, it was like, these guys aren't going to make these putts. Yeah. Rory McIlroy, throw him in the mix. He's no, not, yeah, Rory. Go like, off by making yeah, a I mean, maybe we'll talk more about Rory, but Rory made putting look hard at Liverpool all week. Brian Harmon, the opposite. Like, he was just putting six footers in the middle of the middle. It's like what Cam Smith did last year, right? It just made it look like he couldn't miss. And I, I wanted to ask Jason Day that this evening until he got pulled away from media because there's a point in Jason Day's career when he couldn't miss. He had like three straight years where he was one of the five best putters on the planet. And I wanted to ask him, like, look, you've played with a six-shot lead. You've played with a putter that felt like it was unbeatable. Um, I didn't get to ask that question. But it's just this, it's this like rarefied air that pro golfers get to so rarely that it's almost hard for us to like really respect it because they're just hooping everything. I was thinking to myself as I was watching the tournament this week that usually we talk about great golfers in terms of their ability as ball strikers. Um, and I think if you are trying to build a lead, being a great ball striker is the most advantageous skill you can have. But I think if you're trying to maintain a lead, yeah. being a great putter is such an asset. 
I mean, you look at some of the makes that, that Harmon had today. I mean, that par on three, I think it was, after he'd had the bogey on two, that was a 12, 15-footer that he rolled in in a huge, huge moment that saved him a stroke. Then, you know, a couple holes later, he's a massive birdie putt. It's like as soon as he had those two big makes, it sucked the air out of the entire tournament. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I think we make a lot about guys who have this prodigious ball striking ability. And for good reason, like that's a massive advantage when you have it. But once you've got a lead and it's late in a tournament, I don't think there's anything you can have that's better than than the ability to roll the rock with yeah. some consistency. It's kind of it was kind of sweet to watch the majority of this tournament in the press center because that's what happens when it rains for an entire weekend. Um, because everyone in there wants a storyline. They want some excitement. They want multiple things to follow. They want they want a playoff for better or for worse because that is the most exciting version of major championship golf. And it was funny to see what Harmon's par putts his long birdie putts that fell what that does to the media center because when you have a five shot lead and you make a 50 footer all it leads to are groans like this guy's gonna continue doing this like what we have to react to what he's doing we can't go chase all these other storylines uh it definitely leads to more groans in the media center for better or worse no one's cheering against him but we're definitely we're not we're definitely not cheering like for those putts to go in so if you look at a, just a quick statistical profile of Harmon's week, 11th in strokes gained off the tee, so you gained three shots there. 34th in strokes gained approach, so again, very solid, like upper quartile of the field. 36th in strokes gained around the green, so on the occasions where he did not hit the green, did pretty well there. But then first in strokes gained putting, gained 11.6 strokes on the greens, which is more, you know, it's about double what he gained on the field everywhere else. So in this case, the old, the old uh, putt for dough situation really came through. When you putt that well, it actually does ring true. I wonder if tour players care when a guy wins like this, how he won, you know, because when it happens with just a putter that was en fuego, does that bother Scotty Scheffler? I don't know if it bothers, but I feel like it would be easier to dismiss to maybe. Yeah. Like if you're John Rahm, you could just kind of behind closed doors be like... Yeah, he didn't miss. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he, he didn't miss, you know? But also, like in his defense, he hit a ton of fairways this whole week. He played 36 holes on the weekend with you know the first 18 of them with Tommy Fleetwood who was the runaway fan favorite and he did all of those things without really making a big mistake I mean he had a couple misses he had a couple wayward shots but on the whole like there weren't that many misses it's not like he was spraying it all over the yard but was you know miraculously saving par in every hole it's like no there were a couple misses along the way but he was keeping it between the lines, and then when he needed to make a putt, he you know, he had the ability to do it. I want to know what hour of which day this week that it clicked for him to the point where he said, I'm going to win this golf tournament. Like, it's going to happen. Because uh, we like to suspend that belief, uh, and it often doesn't like manifest until late on Sunday. But 
this tournament in particular, I think it started to manifest for people like on Saturday afternoon. And when he built a five shot lead on Friday, people were like, wait, come on, let's be real. When did it actually click for Brian Harmon that he was like, no, I'm playing so well. I'm it's you know, the, the ball is exiting through the windows that I am launching it into. Um, did it click for him on Friday afternoon or was it like, I don't think so. No, <laughs> no. Since 2017, Brian Harmon has or had 29 top 10s. Yeah. That's the most of any player without a win in that stretch. So, and he, you know, he didn't have a particularly good bad weather background, didn't have before last year, not a huge links background, I don't think. Uh, I finished sixth last year at the Open. So, I don't think he would have expected to run away with this event by any means. Uh, and there's so many good golfers on the leaderboard. You kind of figured that leaderboard gravity would take over and like some proven winners would rise to the top, would chase him down. And also that he would come back to the field and watching that not happen was remarkable because on Saturday and Sunday, he, he was a little shaky out of the blocks, you know, got a, a little bit, hooky off the tee, like quick hook going, uh, and then made some bogeys, but then just quickly reversed that trend. Crazy. Like it, it's not supposed to really happen like this. No, not in a major, but things got weird, man. It, it rained a lot. The wind, I think each evening mostly died down a little bit until like super late today. Um, it's hard to say that he had the best draw. He definitely didn't, but uh, there may not have been any draw. But I think he just like kind of got this weird bit of momentum where no one was really pushing him too much. Like the only sense of that was when Rom shot 63, posted six under, and then it was Harmon had to play his entire Saturday round knowing that that number was in the clubhouse, um, and he backed up to it right away. But then Tommy Fleetwood didn't do enough. James and I were talking about this over dinner this evening. There, there was a moment that if Tommy Fleetwood dropped a birdie or two early in that third round, that Brian Harmon cracks a little bit more. And, you know, those tiny cracks can become massive things. But Tommy didn't do that. And there were not enough other people putting any pressure on the leader. That's just kind of, that's kind of how the weekend played out. What do you make of Brian Harmon, Ryder Cupper? Oh, he, it, that's a thing, right? Like yes. it's, it's Done now deal. happening. Yep. He'll be on the team, uh, which, you know, if he is a nasty putter like he was this week, that's a great asset to have on your, your Ryder Cup team. Everyone was campaigning for Denny McCarthy in recent weeks because he's one of the best putter in the world. And you'd love to pair that with Scotty Scheffler, a guy who cannot putt right now. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a reason why Brian Harmon is like, he was like, you know, in the twenties to thirties in the world, he's a very good golfer. He's steely. He's gritty. He fashions out pars when he needs to plays hard course as well. I think he has to check a number of boxes, but at this point, the only reason why I have this hesitation is because any other person who we didn't expect to be on that Ryder Cup team is now elbowing people that we thought maybe would fit on that team out of the way. They are elbowing the Colin Morikawas and Tony Finau's out of contention. And I think 
I think we could end up with a little bit weirder team than we expected, and that just sets up the Americans for potential failure in Rome, where it's like, oh, that team that dominated at Whistling Straits and that team that really, really kind of dominated the President's Cup, they're not the same guys. We've got a Wyndham Clark and a Keegan Bradley and a Ricky Fowler and and a Brian Harmon. That's just different. I'll make I'll make a counter argument for you about Brian Harmon's Ryder Cup candidacy. Um, about the thing the U.S. team has needed most in Europe over the last decade is a guy who can consistently make putts and consistently find fairways yeah. on what is usually narrow, usually very penal uh, golf courses, and that is what Brian does better than anyone else it's it's what it's what his strength will be to this team so i think of the realm of american golfers who could have you know shot themselves basically directly into one of those automatic qualifiers on the team uh as far as playing fit i mean yeah it makes the decision harder for zach but i think ultimately he's he's a great fit for the team i think he's exactly what they what they should be hoping for right now yeah and I think there's going to be when whoever is left off this team, there's going to be obvious reasons why they were. That's I think the nice thing about six captains picks. None of these captains picks are going to be random. You're not going to feel guilted into any of them. Zach Johnson's going to have his pick of the litter. It's going to be up to him, and then it's going to sit on him um, in terms of responsibility. But anyone who doesn't make the list, there will be reasons for it. Sam Burns, there will be reasons for it. If Morikawa misses the team, there will be reasons for it. If Tony Finau plays poorly in Minnesota, doesn't advance to the FedEx Cup, he will know why he's not on the Ryder Cup team. So it's starting to crystallize. Um, But yeah, the core is just going to be in a different place than we expected them. It is what it is. Loser, please, Sean. Hmm... Well, look, I'll just say it. Justin Thomas is a loser this week. He's in a weird spot. This is an opportunity uh, to stake your claim, to play good golf on a tough golf course, and he, he, he played bad golf on a tough golf course. Bounced back on Friday, but it's not like he shot four under par. Did, did not really give anybody hope, so that's an easy loser. Um I think just the the loser group that I would love to speak to is just the guys, again, this is a little too much focus on the Ryder Cup, but the guys who had a very clear and obvious opportunity to do something to get on that team. All right, now we're cooking, yeah. Shriveled. Give me some of those other names. Taylor Gooch, Bryson DeChambeau, Dustin Johnson, the Live Trio. Um, I guess Patrick Reed, you can toss him in there, but he was never probably being considered too much. Morikawa misses the cut. Um, Finau misses the cut, I believe. Yes. Wasn't around for the weekend. Um, trying to think. I mean, Keegan missed the cut. Wasn't around. Just a bunch of dudes who, like, this is your time. This is your moment. These is, These teams are getting decided in about three to four weeks. So put up or shut up kind of opportunity. Especially the live guys too. Cause we know our boy Zach Johnson has made no bones about the fact that he is simply not tuning in to watch live on a week to week basis. Yeah. He doesn't care. 
he's, he's not going to care. If, if they were going to earn a spot on the team, it was going to have to be by proving it on a big stage that they, you know, that their game was, was peaking at the right time. And really none of those live guys you brought up gave much of anything to be inspired by if, if you're Zach Johnson making this decision. And especially if you're Zach Johnson, just looking for a little bit of license to say, ah, I can't really pick you guys. That's the perfect reason to do it. You didn't make the cut at the open. I, that was the only tournament yeah. I was watching all year. I did find it funny, the discourse that, look, we might be way too close to it, but the, the discussion that was happening in the media center among the Euros, we're here in Europe, but uh, it, it looking at the leaderboard, there was Hovland, there was Rom, there was McElroy, Fleetwood, Sepp Straka. It was like, holy cow, wait, the Europeans are really putting something together. This team looks stronger than they looked three months ago that may well be true um we're still two months away from the actual matches being played but uh it it felt like an interesting weekend for the Ryder cup if we have any recency bias when these picks are made it'll be a good one for luke donald and a, a loser one for zach johnson who made the cut by himself and saw a number of his hopefuls miss the cut james I'll give you the floor next for your winner. This is a very good segue. My winner was the European Ryder Cup team. This weekend, they came out uh, with a lot of questions, and they left with a lot of answers. I think Sepp Straka proved he is uh, a legitimate talent on this team and a guy that I don't think a lot of guys on the U.S. team are going to want to see. I think we saw another strong performance from Victor Hovland, another strong performance from John Rom. We knew those two guys were going to be on the team, but I think seeing them perform really well in, I mean, it's, it's a different golf setting from what we're going to see in Rome, but at the same time, uh, Euro team needs, needs anchors right now. It seems like in, in Rory, in Rom and in Hovland, you know, they have three of them. And then we got a bunch of other, pretty strong performances kind of on the fringes there too. We had Fleetwood play really well for a good chunk of the weekend. He's kind of an interesting character for this team, but he's a guy who I could see certainly finding his way, you know, in, into an interesting role. We had uh, a number of other guys kind of lurking around the top of the leaderboard, some interesting names as far as, you know, team construction is built and whatnot. So I don't know. I thought the Europeans came out of this looking significantly stronger than I was anticipating. And especially after all of these conversations we've had about, man, who's going to survive? You know, how how are the Europeans even going to contend against this American, you know, group of of studs? I think we left this weekend feeling like, man, this is looking like 2016 all over again. It's going to be close. It's going to be a close Ryder Cup. If if you don't think it's going to be close, you're either too much of an American uh, faithful or you think that there's something special about playing in Europe. But I think it will be close. Uh, the addendum to James's point, I, I think John Rahm is like a particular winner, Dylan, that we didn't really address early on. Even though he did not win, he finished second by six strokes. He might have won the player of the year race or he may have won a, a, an important token in the player of the year race because Scotty Scheffler is major free this year. He's played Tiger Woods 
esque golf. He's been the best golfer this year, but he has two wins compared to John Rahm's four wins. And Scheffler doesn't have the high, high, high major finish that Rahm got this week. Even though he lost by six strokes, he only lost to one person. And when we end up having tour players vote on this thing and they look at the full body of work, they're going to see one next to John Rahm's name at the Masters and T2 next to his name at the Open. That tends to sit with people. The majors are the ones you want to win, to quote Jason Day from earlier. That's a quote I just put in my story on golf.com, Sean. Um, what a simple quote that in the way he delivered it yeah, just kind of said everything. Like if you look at it on paper, he just says the masters, the majors are the ones you want to win. But you would ask him like, how do you, how do you really separate the two in your mind? The, the majors versus the, the normal tour events. And he kind of like, he kind of like talked his way into his own reasoning. He kind of was reasoning it in his head as he was speaking but he just came out and was like, look, they're the ones you want to win. They're the ones that you count. They're... A lot of people know how many times that you've won on tour, but everyone knows how many majors you've won, and I'm still stuck on the one. One other addendum to this uh, European Ryder Cup conversation. Uh, Going to give a shout-out to my boy, Adrian Moronk, who had an impressive finish, top 25 finish. Where, what did he actually finish at? Finished 23rd, T23. Uh, he has won twice at Marco Simone in the Italian Open in the last 10 years. Um, for a European team looking to fill out the fringes of the Did roster, he win like eight years ago or something? Uh, the Italian Open, I guess, has been hosted twice there in the last decade, and he's and he has won both times. Um, Polish boy. Didn't Bob McIntyre win there last year? Different place? Same Maybe place. it was a different place. Don't fact check this, anybody listening. Thank you. Um, your loser, please, James. My loser for this week is the RNA. Oh, I think this was uh, a big tournament week for Royal Liverpool. Sort of, you know, all of the changes they made to the 17th hole, trying to prove themselves as a regular part of this open rota, you know. It was a big week to prove that this whole conjecture about them being a course where true champions are, you know, kind of crowned with Tiger in 06 and Rory in 14. I think there was big expectations that we were going to get another great champion here. And wait, so is it the RNA that's a loser or Royal Liverpool? I'm I'm getting there. I'm getting there. All right. But I think obviously not to take anything away from from Brian Harmon who a hundred percent deserved the claret jug today. Seems like a however. We coming. did not. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't get the champion that we were expecting from this week. And I think specifically for the RNA, they got a tournament that lacked juice from from the second that basically opening tee shots were in the air. There was so much excitement. There's so much anticipation around this moment in golf, and this was the last major of a really really pivotal year in the sport. And it just never really felt like it got, it got going. Well, um, yeah. And on some level, like the RNA cares about ratings, right? On maybe a, a major level. It was one of the big things that Martin Slumber said during his press conference. He said, you know, we expect the Open's going to be watched by 600 million people by Sunday. Yeah. And he was happy to acknowledge 
that this is their Wait, cash Wait, you said what? 600 million. Yeah. I, that no feels no like he's fudging that. the number. Yeah, it feels like he's fudging. The, this feels like another one of those live situations where they're reporting everyone who watched for a minute as an All individual viewer. Yeah. Well, and like a new, every day you become a new person also. I think so, yeah. Because that's like five Super Bowls, isn't that? Four Super Bowls? I don't know what the international Super Bowl audience is. Yeah. All I know is that he was, he was definitely uh, not afraid to acknowledge that the open is the RNA's cash cow that that is their only profitable asset and in terms of their championships which I think we may have known but he mentioned it multiple times in his press conference so this is like the RNA the open has to work for them in every single way and the ratings they just won't be good they can't be good they especially next to last year's ratings but what are they supposed to do about it james that's my question but it was always going to be bad but i mean i think this this is the risk you run with you know with various hosts that you that you bring into the fold isn't it just bad luck like what if what if brian Harmon? did what Tom Kim did and like rolled his ankle. And then maybe we have a John Rom Jason day playoff. There's a very simple solution to this. You move the open to chambers Bay. <laughs> You'd have good ratings. Links course by the sea. People would be, it, it would be impossible to nice not local in. culture. And you get that Pacific time zone where we discussing the everyone Commonwealth, is chasing the Commonwealth approach, bring it to like Vancouver Sure. I mean, look, even better. Would it be? be? Would it be better? Well, it would be great, but I don't. I don't. I just don't know that a comparable links course exists in Vancouver. So I think it would. It would have to be like the Vancouver Golf Association hosting by proxy in the state of Washington at Chambers Bay. Kind of like the Massachusetts it seems State like Golf Association. It Boom! The Gosling's uh, just circling back, Adrian Moronk did win this year at Marco Simone. Uh, I was thinking of 2022. So last year, Bob McIntyre won the Italian Open there, and Moronk finished second mm. T2 ah, in T2. the 2021 so Italian wrong. Open behind Nikolai Hoygaard. So you're both wrong. Is it my turn? It's your turn. You may speak. Well, here's the thing, guys. I was going to say the United Kingdom was was the winner and and I want to I guess mention that really quickly because uh but I but I want to also add an additional winner but because I think there was too much overlap between that and what James said but in the top 20 guys how many how many chaps do you think there were from the UK let's say Eight. Mm, okay. Well, I was hoping you're gonna underguess. But there, <laughs> let's say four. I, well, you guys nailed it. Between the two of you, there were six. Because well, we have Rory McIlroy in T six. We've got Matthew Jordan. We've got Tommy Fleetwood, uh, Laurie Cantor, Alex Fitzpatrick, and Tyrrell Hatton, all in there. How many Americans? Four. Just four Americans. Brian Harmon is a nice uh, tiebreaker there because he actually won the tournament. But for the British Open or the Open Championship hosted by the United Kingdom, that's a nice little feather in the cap. Uh, But instead, guys, I do want to highlight not just the European Ryder Cup team. How about the international team? The President's Cup 
opponents of the United States. Are you really doing this? Buoyed by Tom Kim and Jason Day looking resurgent. Emiliano Grigio. Shub Sharma in the top 10. I can't believe he's doing that, James. I can't believe he is shouting out the President's Cup team in in a non-President's Cup year. Somebody got... What the hell are we doing? Somebody got Trevor Immelman on the line right now. We're going to Montreal, Dylan, but not for another 14 months. And when we get there... Don't you feel a little ashamed for that being being your... Well, look, no, I just wanted to kind of highlight that there's some good stuff going on with the uh, Trevor Immelman's boys. All right, well, winner of the week... Uh, how about Matthew Jordan? Yeah, I would love to talk about Matthew Jordan, but um, you wrote about him, so why don't you start? It was funny. I think people who listen to this podcast know that I flew over here immediately after the U.S. Open, and one of the first people that I met in England, uh, I saw Matthew Jordan on the putting green here at Royal Liverpool, and he was... I guess just the people I talked to in the membership were like, yeah, I mean, he's had this circled on his calendar forever. And he had to go through West Lancashire to career it and get into the open and then gets the honor of hitting the first tee shot in the open and then shoots under par in the first round and then makes the cut and then makes a charge on Saturday. And then suddenly he's walking up the 18th, getting serenaded by the spectators he's hugging his father he makes birdie at the last shoots four under finishes t10 earns a bid to next year's open at troon for someone who didn't actually win the tournament it's hard to imagine a better week than what he had well and you asked him that after the round for uh, basically comparison's sake is there anything else like this and he said no nothing is even close um nothing's even close he was still wearing the same grin that he had on his face from that 18th green when he made the birdie putt. This was now like 30 minutes later, and he was, I mean, just the most earnest, happy guy that I can remember seeing. All week he was that way. All week he was just like in disbelief of how great the experience was, and it's hard to square that with, or I don't know if it's hard to square. It's just not something you're used to seeing someone that's like so happy to be there. And then also is playing some of the best golf of his career to yeah. be inside the top 10 at a major. You can't predict when your best stuff is going to arise. You just can't as golfers. You hope it comes when you need it most in the event you want it to happen most, but you can't predict it. And since it happened to him this week, it was a bit storybook. Um, what I, thought about tonight when I was writing is just how we have cute stories like his that are non-winner stories that happen in every single tournament. The Monday qualifier who finishes, you know, T9 and gets a bid into the next PJ Tour event or the 54-year-old who makes the cut and, you know, grabs a couple, um, I don't know, I guess, grabs a great start between champions tour starts all these cute little things the the 16 year old amateur who makes the cut those take place at pga tour events every everywhere but when they can happen in a major they're kind of on steroids because one you have a greater audience but two everything is worth more like he made three hundred thousand dollars he's never made three hundred thousand dollars at a single tournament he's going to have his best finish of the year or of his career in the race to dubai like that's your your easiest path 
now to earning a PGA Tour card, being top 10 in Race Dubai. He's going to fly up the rankings after this week. He is is going to jump up to the top 200 in the world golf rankings. Like He's going to have all the benefits that you would get at, of being the cute non-winner story at a typical tour event, but it's just to the max. And so not only is he playing great golf where he wants to at his home club during his Open, but he's going to actually get more out of it than you could have really imagined as well for his future. Dylan, who is your loser? Scotty Scheffler. And this is not, this is one of those things where you, you do something so well that then you get punished for it because what he has done so well this year is play golf. And so it was weird to not have him as a factor in this tournament. He's finished in the top five, what, his his last seven starts coming in here, and in the top 12, maybe 19 starts in a row. And then he just didn't really show. Sunday's the exception. He uh, shot the low round of the day, or tied for the low round of the day on Sunday with four under. Uh, so I think he ends up in, what, a tie for 23rd. But it's really weird to have... Scotty playing at this historic like strokes gained level of golf and ultimately yeah he's he bagged a couple wins a couple nice wins how long ago do those wins feel though they like feel the- like a while ago they fe- it feels like he has strung together like 20 top fives and none of them have been wins In fairness, and there's yeah they are four months ago the players this- was four months ago the it was dominant too yeah and and the Phoenix Open win was sneaky dominant as well. I mean, he beat John Rahm and Nick Taylor's absolute best in Arizona. That just feels like a long time ago. And look, it's not like he's dropped off. He's had all all the amazing golf this year. But um, when you ascend to his level in the game, what do we count, Dylan? We count W's. We count W's. That's we, it. And we count major W's extra and to not get a major in what could end up being his best all-around year of golf of his career. Yeah, people are going to look back on this year. The strokes gain numbers don't disintegrate just because you don't win. Like, we were, we will look back whenever he has a valley and whenever he has another peak in his career. He's going to have a very long career, but we'll look back at 2023. Remember what he did? Those 19 straight top 12s, those seven straight top fives, and it will always have this asterisk of, well, he didn't go from one to two career major wins. He stayed at one the whole year. Yeah. And weird stuff happens over here. Like, you know, we didn't get to ask him about it cause he didn't do media, but you know, there's chatter that, yeah, he didn't really get a warm up in on Saturday cause there was some sort of injury situation. Like we just don't really know what is going on. I mean, when guys come to the open, they sleep in funny different beds and, tweaked necks and you know who knows what's going on so we don't know that we don't really have a full picture of scotty scheffler's week all we have are the results unfortunately in this binary win or don't win system that's an l for scotty at the end of the major season you guys want to toss out any others just buzz through them lightning round do you have any other winners and losers sounds like you do i sure do uh max homa winner finally logged a top 10 at a major it was kind of a low bar for uh, at least he said that for Max to clear for you know a player of his caliber, but he still cleared it. That's massive for him. Sepp Straka's caddy, 
Dwayne Bach, mm. who was Kevin Kisner's caddy. Kisner is on, uh, you know, basically just a break from the PGA Tour, said on Twitter that he's not going to play again until he can regularly break par at his home course. So mm. that sounds That's not happening. somewhat dark. Uh, my one before you keep going. My thought on Homa. Yes. The only way that I I like want to feel comfortable letting him kind of get away with being a top ten player and a his first top ten being a win for him this week is that he actually acknowledges it. Like beginning of the week, he's like, "Look, my majors record sucks." Yeah, he said that, and so that's that's how you uh, can get a pass by me. Is like, okay, you should have had one by now. But as long as you acknowledge, and in particular, do it in front of cameras to say how how poorly you've been as a major player, then this will be a total building block. When he does the next one, he will say, "Well, remember Hoylake? Remember Liverpool? That was a massive step." Building for me. block is exactly the phrase I was thinking of, and I was thinking of Victor Hovland from last year, um, and the way that his open performance, even though it had kind of a disappointing finish. You know, maybe helped springboard him to good major showings this year. For someone like Max, who's so cerebral, it's probably this thing where you psych yourself out of like, oh my God, how do I prepare for a major? I keep screwing these up, even though I played regular season events so well. And, you know, there's too much happening. So this has the potential to kind of quiet that doubt. Sure. I would say another winner here uh, Wikipedia top tens. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty, pretty high, uh, particularly talking about max. He, he wanted one of these bad boys. Yeah. Now he's got, now he's got a little, little yellow box around his yeah. performance to show for it. But we had a for couple everybody. other guys near the top there. Like Rory McElroy had his 30th career top 10 this week. A lot of yellow on his Wikipedia page within the last five years. Hasn't been a ton of true contention. And this was certainly not true contention by any means. I mean, he, he lost by, num- what? What did Rory finish at? Six? Yeah. Lost by seven strokes. Um, Although so- I'd say, about, you know, if you're, by that measure, I would say no one was in contention. No, nobody was. So that's James's point. A lot of yellow being added to Wikipedia pages this week that will look favorably in their history. And uh, gosh, do you remember when Jason Day finished T2 at Royal Liverpool? Yeah, Jason Day did not sniff the lead the entire week. Yeah, it's true. Uh, another winner, younger brothers. Um, as an older brother, this brings me no no joy to report, but uh, the younger Fitzpatrick recorded a pretty impressive performance this week in his first Open. Um, T-17. Is, how about, is Nikolai younger than Rasmus? He, he feels that way, doesn't he? No, I was just curious if he came out earlier than, than Rasmus did. No, that's what I mean. He just seems like he might be a younger brother. We'll, we'll count it for, <laughs> sure. for the purposes of this. Ty goes to the, the tape. To the <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, additional losers, I think that uh, Rory, sort of for all the stated reasons about Scotty, plus yeah. eight years of torture, I think gets included there. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood... Because he was the first round leader, sure. because he was the prince that was promised for this. Yeah, because event. he couldn't make a putt all weekend long. Man was playing really good golf, hit a bunch of good wedges, yeah. pl- 
plenty of good iron shots. And because it would have been putter. freaking awesome if he had won this thing. <laughs> yeah, we all lost because of Tommy Fleetwood's loss. Think of, I mean, look, I was getting ahead of myself, but the scenes of Shane Lowry shaking the earth at Royal Portrush when he won his Open, I was thinking about that this week even stronger, I think. And also, this would be like, because Tommy's never won on the PGA Tour. He's never won a PGA Tour event. This would be like, oh man, this guy just—you know—he's never gotten a—he's never gotten a hit in the major leagues. All of a sudden, he's at home, in front of the home crowd. He hits a walk-off grand slam. That's Bottom what this would have been. Two outs, boom. That's what Tommy Fleetwood winning at uh, Royal Liverpool would have been. Instead. Sour, sour finish, triple bogey at number 17. And then the birdie at 18 to finish was almost like more heartbreaking because it was like, oh, that's that's all it is. Uh, big time winner this week as well. Uh, none other than Richard Bland. Um, one, one over one over performance for the week. I think he finished T33. My memory serves me. Um, it does I, uh, serve you, yeah. You know, I, I've obviously been a supporter on the pod uh, over the years of Richards, um, but definitely the high point of my week at at Royal Liverpool was standing off the second green earlier today as he was coming around, uh, you know, sort of looking like a grizzled guy who maybe stumbled out of a pub a little bit, you know, a couple hours before his, his tea time, and it's uh, fan is kind of standing just to my left and he turns to his buddy and goes who is that <laughs> and i thought yeah that's uh that's yeah bland. that's richard bland right there that's the full experience so it, it won't go down for much but it, it's a win in my books dylan do you have any more henrik stenson low live man did not see that one coming uh tom kim's is back uh and shub sharma is also back i think that's oh, yeah pretty declared, much but declared back well fair fair thank you um he's hanging around he's present i'm not sure he's back all right um my final question given all that we haven't shared with the viewership thus far the fact that we had a great week as the hoy lads here in boy lake we uh, we played a lot of good golf. We played West Lancashire. We played Wallasey. I know you boys went and played Hesswall. Um, this all just sound like completely made up places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, but we did it all um, during a very fun open week. However, we had no Wi-Fi at the house that we rented, and we basically had no consistent hot water. So, are we winners or losers? Well, clarification on the hot water. We had a lot of hot water. <laughs> An I, overabundance of it. Actually. I think I may have burned the bottom of my feet from standing in the... Uh, we're winners, Sean. Oh, James, I'm interested if he characterizes himself a winner. Oh. But this tournament rocks. It's the it's the best event there is. It makes, it makes everything about this feel more significant. It makes the conversations about live and the PGA tour and the merger and the lawsuits and the purses and everything feel cheap and plastic and mm. irrelevant to what actually matters in professional golf. Plastic. Plastic, Sean. Nice, expensive, like the credit new, cards. 
unbreakable plastic. Charge it. Meaningless plastic. That's what this tournament makes everything else feel like. I think you guys had a taste of that last week, uh, at least with the way James talked and wrote about going to North Berwick and you know, even the experience of just seeing pros getting lost in the Lynx land. Lost in the Lynx sauce. Lost in the sauce over here. This feels like it matters. Um, us getting to be a part of it makes us feel very lucky. And You ran into a drop zone guy out on the course. I ran into several drop zone fans, but only one that I really got the, uh, the name and interview of. Mm. Connor. Yeah. I think it was Connor. Yeah, you told me his name was Connor, and he called me Big Sean. All right, I was just making sure it was Connor. Yeah, I took the ferry ride over. Connor, appreciate uh, appreciate you. And I know even though you're from Northern Ireland, you said you were not huge in Rory's corner, so I imagine this was sort of a validating week for you. James, are we winners? Um, I think we are winners, despite the fact that I have slept under the roof of a greenhouse for most of this week. Uh, a greenhouse that both leaks and is deafening at all times. I think shed is probably more appropriate. Yeah, built character. Yeah. It's like a tin roof. Slept on, a, slept on a sofa bed, and yet I still consider myself a runaway winner from this week. And I consider a group runaway winners from this week. Uh, this is like what the entire sport of golf is, is about. It's like why it's worth caring about. Um, and both in the recreational sense of the word and in the competitive sense of the word, it is really, really inspiring to be around people who care so deeply about golf just uh, as as a pastime. Not, not even as an interest, as a pastime. Um yeah, it yeah, it has so been it's been very uh, yeah it's I mean, been it's been an exhausting few months to be around the sport. I feel like at least that's been my experience, and the last ten going on eleven days has been a really rejuvenating time. So I yeah. feel that way. Bunch of sickos over here, Dylan. That's that's maybe the main takeaways. I just keep running into golf sickos. One of my one of the best people I met in the, the past month is a guy named Peter Smith. Very generic name. He's the club captain at one of the golf clubs in this area. I'm going to sideswipe at Peter's name. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully he's listening. But absolute sicko. And we played at Southport and Ainsdale about a month ago. Um, he made every putty looked at for about two hours. We had a great time. We exchanged numbers. Lo and behold, he's marshalling on the fourth hole here at – Royal Liverpool this week, and uh, I ran into him. It's you know pissing down rain. He runs up and grabs me. He's like, "I got you. Gotta meet my twin brother. My brother's here." And it was just like these guys are golf sickos. They had done their duty, marshalling for the day. It's raining like crazy, and they're like they can't get enough of it. I think that's kind of a good example of the people you find, the golfers you find in this part of the world. Yeah, it's just part of the fabric, and. Uh happy to be a part of it we've got one round of golf left tomorrow after a few hours sleep then we'll be out of here and uh fedex cup playoffs time boys so until then we love you guys we love you zonies we'll see you next week